0: The Brad Sessmatch Show, broadcasting live.
1: Good Monday. Thanks for being with us. We have Dave Pash, the veteran play by play voice of ESPN, ABC, the Arizona Cardinals. He has seen the San Francisco 49ers twice in person uh, this season, this past season. And of course, Dave has seen the Chiefs through the years. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about Brock Purdy. Dave did some of Brock's games when he was at Iowa State, so we'll visit with Dave Pash on that. Also, we're going to wrap in the Suns with him from what he's seen so far, um, and um, you know the Cardinals and where they're heading. So we'll get into a lot with Dave Pash. That comes up here at about ten fifteen ish. John Wilner will be with us. Wilner Hotline. I'm going to get in the weeds with John about, I don't know if you guys saw this, where Stanford and Cal got their ACC schedule. And they Stanford opens at, I think it's Florida State, and then they travel back like eight days later to play Clemson, and they start classes the same week. It's like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? Um, but there's a lot of legal stuff going on with NIL and Transfer Portal that John and I like to get in the weeds on, so we're going to do that. And also, he uh, John's based in the Bay Area. He works for the San Jose Mercury News. And what's it been like up there around the Brock Purdy stuff? Opening comments are brought to you by Desert Financial Credit Union. Desert Financial Credit Union taking care of you, taking care of your business through the years, as always. the Jeff Mischi and Company, Desert Financial Credit Union, we do appreciate their ongoing support. Uh, the games yesterday were just what they're supposed to be. Championship weekend in the NFL usually, usually, is better than the Super Bowl itself. This year though, it was ramped up even more so because of the storylines in the games and the storylines played out. Dan Campbell, he likes to gamble. Dan Campbell likes to do things that aren't ordinary and orthodox. Dan Campbell will take risks. Dan Campbell took a risk and his Lions are now going home because he didn't kick a field goal. And everybody's going to question it, but this is who the guy's been. This is who he is. And so in the fraternity of coaches, uh, most would not do what Dan Campbell's done. And it's easy. Oh, we love and we love and we love him today. What are you doing, you idiot? You should have kicked the field goal. Oh, no, no. We love, we love. But no, that was the wrong move. So which is it? Uh, I think it's cool to see where Jared Goff was. Jared Goff was just getting crushed in L.A. And he played well yesterday. I like the Lions as a story. If you're a Cardinal fan, what the Lions have done should give you hope. We will talk with Dave Pash about that. Uh, You know, they drafted smart, Detroit did. They got a culture change. They're doing all the right things. They make it all the way to the NFC championship game. And they come up short. The Brock Purdy side story, big story, national embrace debate, say dumb things, go chase your clicks. Oh, he's not any good. He just has talent around him. And I don't know. You can use that lame excuse all day long. At the end of the day, you've got to ball out and compete and win and put all the noise, everything that's going on to the side. And that's what that guy has done. You're going to see a lot of Brock Purdy on our site. You're going to see a lot of Brock Purdy in our shows because we've been doing things around Brock Purdy, on Brock Purdy, interviews with him, content since he was at Perry High School in his junior year. And he's no different. He isn't. And just the family's no different. They're just a few years older. And yeah, they've gone through some media stuff and they uh, just kind of remain level-headed and low-key. I'm not going to go too far down the path on what we're going to put out there because some of it will be content in the next week and a half or so that people will be chasing on a national space. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to see a lot of it. That's it. So the two games were tremendous. Two games, like, how are you not gripped? To count the number of times, I am not a drinker, but if I were the drinking game of Taylor Swift showing up, I thought I that thought was great when they went to her one time and she looked up, she saw the song, and she's like, would you stop showing me? Love that. I love that on social media, people are taking the time to try to figure out how hard it's going to be for her to go play a concert in Japan and the next day be in Las Vegas. It's as though they think that she's going to go out and hail a taxi cab. It's as though they think she's going to go through security and she's going to be at gate D25 and that she's going to land in Vegas and she's got to, got to look for an Uber. It's as though people just have way too much time on their hands. So they're tying that in. Oh my gosh, she kissed Travis Kelsey. What a great place for him to get down on a knee and propose during Las Vegas. Maybe she'll do the Super Bowl halftime show. Maybe she'll do a show afterwards. I don't know. The whole, are we going to talk football or not talk football? It is the entertainment business. Football seems to have gotten lost, at least when the Chiefs are playing. All I know is this. When you see Patrick Mahomes play and go on the road and Travis Kelsey ball out, And all the conversation about the Chiefs have no wide receivers. They're not going to go anywhere. And then Terrell Suggs walks out of the tunnel and the place at Baltimore goes crazy for him to go by the pictures and all that. Debating what the better broadcast team is, Greg Olson, Kevin Burkhardt versus Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I don't think it's even close. We'll get into that as time goes. Um, what the over under is going to be, all of the stuff that's going to lead up to the game, and we have Brandon Ayuk who went to Arizona State and Brock Purdy. Uh, there's just local angles for us too around the Super Bowl, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to that. You know, beyond that side of the of the sports world, not much else really. This was the weekend where the focus. You guys know me on this one if you've watched through the years. I don't get too high or too low off, I hate August NFL football, I hate it. It's not even NFL football, it's just a joke, it's a ripoff. And it means that September football is just not very good, and October football gets a little bit better, and then after Thanksgiving, man, it is great. It's great. But I I can't sit here and say it's great every week, because you just hope these grown men are able to stay healthy and be able to compete and ball out like they all did yesterday on both sides. Both games were tremendous. There was no mismatch. You know, Detroit belonged there. You could make the argument, you could very easily make the argument that Detroit should have won that football game. If you just kick the field goal and there's a catch here and not a fumble there, you could make that argument. And it's, that's how close the games are. And the product was great. And now we look forward to the game being in Las Vegas. I didn't see the Suns yesterday. Uh, the Suns are going to play Miami tonight. I will watch some of that. Commissioner Adam Silver given a contract extension. Interesting timing to make that announcement on the day of AFC and NFC championship games. But you want to keep yourself out there. A week from now, we will be at the Open. That's how close we are to the spring. Spring training is going to start in two weeks. Last couple weeks, we put on... Mad Dog Russo and John Smoltz on this show just to talk about some baseball because I'm very much looking forward to the start of the season. And uh, I think that's about it. I mean, Arizona State basketball, I watched both of their games, not all the way through, not very impressed. Arizona getting ambushed at Oregon State, problems on the road. And then they come back and play really well. Like, Arizona looked like they should look as a road team. They've not been good this year. Um, And Caleb Love went off. So I saw some of that. God created a DVR for a reason, and I used it. And then there's GCU. I'm the guy that's just sitting over here saying, you know, GCU, yeah, you can talk about them all day long as they've got to go win the WAC conference tournament in Vegas in order to make it. And they're playing a bunch of teams that have low numbers. But the teams that didn't have low numbers south carolina narrow defeat san diego state very good victory where are they going to be seated this is not going to be the usual 14 15 seed and of course the final four being here in the valley we're very much looking forward to that as well all right dave Pash, next then john wilner meet sandwich with both of them super bowl with dave uh brock purdy what he's seen through the years the Cardinals, the Suns, NBA. I saw Dave on Saturday with Hubie Brown. They, they had to fill because, was, well, I'll get into it with Dave. That's coming up next. All right, as promised, I wanted to chop it up with Dave Pash, voice of the Cardinals, ESPN. You see him do college football with ABC. He's all over the place. I watched him with Hubie Brown um, do a masterful job of filling on Saturday because there was a clock that wasn't working. and I knew that you were going to come on, and I had the game on, and I'm thinking, Dave's at Madison Square Garden sitting next to Hubie Brown, who's 90 and still killing it. And you guys effortlessly just weaved and story told right through where a lot of guys would say, well, I can't believe the clock isn't fixed or whatever, this and that, and it was no big deal. Do you ever find yourself, Dave, just sitting and saying, that's Hubie Brown that God has blessed me to sit next to today. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Hubie is one of a kind, Brad. He's great. Uh, that I enjoy, uh, you know, one of the things Hubie likes to do, which I like to do as well, is, you know, spend time together the night before dinner. And so, you know, I, for 18 years or whatever, I've done the NBA with ESPN. You know, I've done a bunch of games with Hubie over the years and then, you know, been partnered with him on, you know, the playoffs and, and the ABC games for the last, I guess, five or six years. And it's such a joy to be around him. His stories are unreal, you know, for somebody that you think of all the players he coached, he he goes all the way back to coaching Kareem and Oscar together on the Milwaukee bucks. So think about that <laughs> and the stories he has through the years. Uh, and to your point, you know, when the light goes on at age 90, yeah. he still brings it and it's amazing. He is a machine. Um, You know, we all hope just to be alive at that age. And not only is Hubie alive, but he's thriving in in what he does. And he loves it. He loves the game. He still teaches the game. It was pretty cool, too. We walked onto the court, and Spike Lee comes over and makes a beeline for Hubie. And they're talking for a good 10 minutes. And I didn't realize after talking, you know, I didn't know. I just assumed it was from when Hubie coached the Knicks. But actually, Spike Lee and Hubie go back almost 50 years. Hubie was coaching the Atlanta Hawks and Spike Lee was in college and I can't remember what school he went to, but whatever school it was, it was near uh, the practice facility. So he would actually come over and watch practice. Um, He and Hubie got to know each other back then. So it's, it's just, it's pretty cool to see all the lives he's touched.
1: Yeah. I had Hubie on once and somehow we got down the path and into the weeds about Wilt Chamberlain. And I just, I just did one of these. Like, I'm not going to be part of this conversation. I'm not going to get in the way, you know. And and he was just going on and on and on. And when people talk about the greatest player, you know, the is it LeBron or is it? Well, what about what Wilt did? And he just very nonchalantly just went right down the path of. Would you guys just, you know, you don't understand what Wilt Chamberlain did or what Bill Russell did? So, no, that's a lot of fun. Uh, Dave passed with us for a few minutes. You saw the 49ers as voice of the Cardinals this year, you didn't see the Chiefs, but you have seen the Chiefs. What do you make out of this matchup in the Super Bowl?
0: Well, I have a hard time ever betting against Patrick Mahomes. I just think when you look at what he did this postseason, it shows you again that he's the best player in the NFL. And he's the most unique player at that position that we've ever seen. He may end up going down as the best player at that position we've ever seen. He's certainly the most talented I've ever seen Mm. at that position. And the 49ers showed, you know, look, they weren't elite defensively this year, despite the names on that roster. And you saw that in the first half. Things got better in the second half, but how much of that was the Lions kicking it around a little bit. The fumble, they didn't have the ball a ton. Drops. Yeah, the drops, right. Some of the decisions on fourth down instead of kicking it, you know. So I, I think it's going to be a challenge for that defense, even though the Chiefs may not have the weapons on the perimeter that they've had in the past. But I think the 49ers defense will be challenged to stop Mahomes. And that's where the game's going to come down to. I, I think Brock Purdy will play well. I have no question, no doubt that he'll play well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, to outduel Mahomes, you may have to. This, I think this game could be a high-scoring game, and I'm just not sure that, that he can do that.
1: When uh, I don't know, did you do Brock Purdy Iowa State games? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, did him in the Fiesta Bowl, did him probably uh, five uh, or six times over the years. Yeah.
1: And so in like in pre-production, you've sat with him, you've you've visited with him, and then you see him play, and when you see what he's doing now, what what is your thought process on this kid? Or I expected this. What, what do you think?
0: No, did not expect this. I look, I thought Brock was a great college player and he elevated that Iowa State program which has a very good coaching staff very good players he, he's not the only one to come out of there and succeed in the nfl but he 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 deserves a lot of credit for what he did in Ames with that program to make them a contender for the big 12 championship and to play in new year six bowl games and he was always such a joy to talk with and just his demeanor it's it's what you see now and for some reason i think people see it as a negative when they talk about all the weapons that he has around him like somehow you know that's the reason he's succeeding. I mean, it's part of the reason he's succeeding, but you can say that about anybody when you have great players around you. Sure. And I, I gotta give a shout out to my guy Brian Greasy, who's the quarterback coach there. You know, I think Brian's done a great job with Brock. I think uh, Brian probably looks at Brock similar to the way Brian looked at himself. You know, he was a guy that helped elevate Michigan, won a national championship, played in the NFL for eleven years, but you know, wasn't you know, he was the guy that they thought was gonna replace Elway. You know, and and he probably didn't like being called a game manager, and I think he sees a lot of himself in Brock, and so I think there's a connection there between those two guys, and and it, it's been great to see. Obviously, with Brock's uh, background here in Arizona, um, I am. I, I think you'd be lying. anybody'd be lying if they told you they weren't surprised that he's having this much success.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's the. 14 months ago, was, I had Peter King on a few weeks back and we were talking and he said, you yeah, just think about this, it was 367 days ago where he wasn't even on the field and then they play the Dolphins and it's against Tom Brady the following week and you know, it goes from there. So yeah, it is it is storybook stuff. Um, you know and you mentioned Brian Greasy, it sounds like his name is around New Orleans and some other places to be an OC. If, if he leaves, then it's the will Brock continue to succeed and this storyline just seems to to continue to grow on and on and on.
0: But right, I think if Go ahead. Brian leaves. I, I just to say, I think if Brian leaves, I think with Kyle Shanahan there, I think Brock's still going to have success. I, I, and I, I think that's you know something Brian's got to think about. You know, he was in broadcasting for so long. I, I don't think coaching was ever on his radar. I worked with him closely for four plus years and never heard him talk about that. And that was a while ago. And I think you know now with his kids. Um, his kids are still in school, but they're getting older. You know, I think, you know, they move their family there to the Bay Area. Does he want to do that again? It's something I know he's got to think about. You know, he's got it good. Does he wait for another opportunity or does he jump at the first chance to be an OC? But I think even if he leaves, Brock's going to have success.
1: What do you make out of the college game now, Dave? Because Saturdays, you're right there in the middle of it for many, many, many years. And the whole transfer portal, name, image, likeness, and it's the doom and gloom, conferences falling apart, conferences reemerge. And then you see things like Stanford and Cal having to travel to Clemson and Florida state back to back weeks when it's the opening week of classes at Stanford. And you're thinking, is this sustainable? I, I'm just curious from your view because you study it, you're right in the middle of it.
0: Well, Brad, I think at some point it's, it, it's going to change again. It's probably going to change again soon. So this is just temporary. My question is, where's is it heading? Are we going to head, you know, end up with two conferences? Are we going to end up with three? I don't think it'll be more than three. I don't know when that's going to happen, but clearly we're not done. You know, this is just snatch and grab in terms of trying to just continue to position yourself to succeed in college football with the TV contracts coming up. You want to make sure you're in a good spot uh, in terms of what league you're connected with. So you can make the most money in the next TV deal with the college football playoff. Now, You still have, obviously, TV deals in place in terms of, you know, ESPN has the SEC starting this year. We have it now exclusively. Obviously, the Big Ten has been exclusive with Fox, and now you add CBS next year. NBC obviously had games this year. So you've got, you know, the networks jockeying. Um, You want to make sure that you're in one of those leagues where you're already automatically getting a nice payout. And then if you get into the college football playoff, which now each conference will – have that automatic bid, you're going to get some of that money as well. So uh, where it ends up, I don't know. It's, you know, is it good for the sport? No. Is NIL good for uh, college football when you combine it with the portal? I don't think so, but it's good for the player. That's okay. Uh It's not a bad thing. Unfortunately, though, I think you see examples of it throughout college football where, you know, a player gets that kind of money and, you know, that's, consumes them and you know do they still love the game after that is that what's on their mind trying to get the nil money and then the portal just the bouncing around you know certainly for us trying to tell stories and humanize players it's really hurt college basketball
1: yeah
0: you know think about brad when you and i were you know young we we remember guys stayed so long in college that you got a chance to kind of attach yourself Uh, to those players. And, you know, you look forward to watching them on TV because you felt like you had a connection there. You don't have that really anymore with college basketball. And now you're, you're losing that with college football. So I think people will still watch. It's still a great sport, but there definitely is something missing because you just, it's hard to keep up with now all the movement.
1: I mean, I can't imagine you and Bill Walton sitting courtside at McHale, not calling UCLA U of A in prime time, and instead you're calling Arizona against Texas Tech on a Saturday night, and it's just not going to resonate. It may with Kansas, sure. There's going to be those matchups, but I, I think it's just the history of it. Like you said, for you and I, um, growing up and seeing the sport, I, the Pac-12 just dissolving before our eyes at light speed is what is so stunning and jarring to me. And and you know, you hear about fan backlash. I agree with you, people are still going to watch, it's just going to be a completely different space to be in and the days of, well, we missed this matchup and that matchup, we're going to hear a lot of that early on I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the sad thing is right, you lose, you know, people obviously are going to lose jobs at the Pac-12 which is sad, yep. you know, knowing a lot of people there and, and being, you know, connected to the conference through college basketball for the last 12 years. So that part of it is sad. And then, yeah, just what you're losing in terms of matchups and history Mm -hmm. and significance in rivalries that's gone. New rivalries will develop, I'm sure. And, you know, the beat goes on. The beat certainly goes on for the coaches. Um, But, yeah, it's 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 disappointing that this is where we are. And I think the reality is we just all have to embrace that this is not done, where there's going to be more. And the question is when and how quickly and, and how much changes.
1: Dave Pasch with us. Before I get you out of here, I want to get local. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, you're one. Where the team is heading, what do you think, what do you like, what concerns you?
0: I think all the things you saw with, for example, the Detroit Lions are, are things that you can – hang your hat on with the Cardinals. And what I mean by that is, you know, the Lions had to lay a new foundation and build a culture and they did that and it took some time, but now you're seeing the fruit of that culture. And that was the goal of Monty and Fort and Jonathan Gannon, Michael Bidwell, Jeremy Walls, the new uh, CEO who's basically come in and, you know, changing the culture on the business side. I mean, there's all that together. Mm-hmm. And that's why I mentioned the Lions, because they did that as well. They brought in Chris Spielman to kind of unite the building and bring people together on both sides. And the Cardinals are trying to do that. And I think we saw some steps in that direction this year. You know, you talk to anybody, you know, talk to coaches on other teams, people around the league, there is a respect level for what the Cardinals did this year. It may not show up, well, it didn't show up in terms of wins and losses, but there's something there. There's, there's a foundation that's been laid in terms of how you do things hmm. and the type of people you identify as well as players that you identify. And we're going to see more of that. That's, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm encouraged and really curious to see what's next in terms of the draft and how that looks and the type of people that they continue to bring in. You know, the assistant GM for the Cardinals, Dave Sears, he was in Detroit for a long time. That was a person that the Lions did not want to lose. And you know, Monty had a relationship with Dave Sears, goes out and gets him to help, you know, establish how you want to go about drafting players. You've got obviously the Patriots background, the Titans background there with Monty, and then JG in terms of the people that he's been around. So I think if you're a Cardinal fan, you you will like where this is going. You hope it results in you know being in playoff contention next year. And I think that's a reality. I, I think if Kyler Murray is healthy, and you continue to build around him you're going to see this team being relevant in december
1: yeah i'm right there with you because i think
0: you just look at the draft that the
1: lions had and people talk about how they hit on this pick and this pick and this pick and this pick and the cardinals hit on some picks this last year the cardinals did well in the offseason. i think they got the answer on kyler so you sit there with two first round picks and who knows i loved how Monty. you know i grew up in the bobby bethard scheme in san diego when i was with the chargers Trade back, trade back, trade back, get assets when your roster is not good. Just blow it up. And Bobby hit on a bunch. So I look at what he does, what Monty did all these years later and say, I love that. And and so this offseason is really intriguing rather than last couple of offseasons have been nothing but chaos, Dave.
0: Yeah. And I think how they identify, to your point on the draft, you know, they look at their number four pick. Do they end up saying, if this player's there, we are taking them um if that player is gone you know here are here are options b and c mm-hmm. I, and i don't know i don't know the answer to that they will by the draft they'll know okay this is the guy we want um or if they're like you know there's a couple guys here that we think are, we are can't miss um and then they'll have the options of you know what else to do trade down or stay put um you know you've got that late first round pick too that you can use so uh, I think, though, you should feel confident. I do, certainly, in what, what Monty did last year, that that they're going to have a plan and they will have done their due diligence in terms of, okay, how do we execute this to get the guys we want and to get the picks we want to?
1: A last thought, and that is over on the Sun side. You've done the NBA, of course. You've seen them in person. What do you make out of that team?
0: I think it's going to take more time for that. Big three to gel. I still think they have to figure out the bench. Um, obviously, when you get in the playoffs, you shorten your bench. The Stars play more minutes. So – but I still think that's something that, you know, Frank Vogel's trying to figure out. You know, does he have a three and D guy off the bench? He's got some guys who can make threes. He's got some guys that can defend. You have guys that can do both uh, coming off your bench. Um I wouldn't be surprised if they did something before the deadline uh, to address that. They tried to do it in the off season. I'm not sure that they're done there, but you know, anytime you have three players like that, Durant, Booker, and Beal, I still think it takes more time. We we did see a glimpse during that winning streak of what they can be, Mm -hmm. but it still hasn't been enough time really. And you know, there's still time you got, you know, half the season to go to kind of figure that out. Do
1: you have to have a point guard, a true point guard? come playoff time?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, anybody, you got multiple guys handling the ball now. um, And, and, you know, you need to have guys that can defend the other team's point guard if they have a point guard. But, you know, think about, you know, how many teams have true point guards now in the NBA. Usually you have guys, you know, multiple ball handlers. Um, Nobody, you know, you've got, you know, James Harden, yeah, he's a true point guard. But, you could watch James Harden and say, well, is he, you know, the old school point guard is all about facilitating. No, clearly not. Even though he's always among the league leaders and assists, he's among the league leaders and shots taken and points. So I don't think you need a true point guard in the old sense that maybe we would look at that.
1: As you sit here today, where would the Suns be in a power ranking from your view in the West or just in the NBA in general? Is it, is it that defined, you know, is it Brad over on the East? You still look at Milwaukee or you can just go through it. Where would yeah. this be today, Dave? I
0: mean, the East it's Boston. And then I think, you know, does doc going to Milwaukee change things there with the bucks? Uh, Cleveland's hot. What happens when Garland Mobley come back? Are the Knicks for real? Have they turned a corner? Philly? It still feels like though. Boston is the team to be in the West. I don't know. The Clippers now are right there. They're, I think a game out in the loss column of first and it took the hardened trade and, you know, Ty Lu, who's the MVP whisper to kind of get that group going. And then, you know, they've got a good bench. Um, you know, I, I think the suns still have a chance to get in, in the top four or at least be looked at as a top four team. you know, Denver is there, Oklahoma city's playing great, but you know, in the playoffs, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, are those teams that are ready to take that next step? I'm not I'm not ready to say that. Um, I think from a talent standpoint, again, star power, you've got to put the Suns up there. It's just going to take some more time. And then how do they look at their bench in terms of is it strong enough to to get you through, you know, three, four rounds of the playoffs? Sure, sure. Get it all figured out by
1: third week in March, first week of April, Gel yep. come together, maybe a little bit before that. But, um, well, look, I appreciate your time as always. You're at USC in Miami this week. Safe travels, and we'll see you down the road. Thanks,
0: all right, Brad. Anytime, bud. It's
1: Dave Pash, and we're back with more after this timeout. It is time to talk with John Wilner's. we do every Monday. Wilner Hotline, all things on the college football fruited plane. You can read John's columns on sports360az.com. He joins us every week. Um, when you first saw, there's a lot to get to. I guess I'll, I won't even go to the, the ACC scheduling <laughs> that came out for Portia yeah. and Cow. I'll get to that. I'll get that. But people should know you live in the Bay Area. So I'm just wondering this morning, uh, what is the buzz in San Francisco? Because people down here with the Brock Purdy and Brandon Ayuk. You know, yeah, they had it
2: planned lot. all along, right? Well, yeah, right? I'll hit you off the face mask. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um
1: is uh is is where's Brock Purdy at in the pantheon of conversation of 49er quarterbacks? Just a nice story or is it more than that now?
2: No, I think it's more than that, you know, partly because of the what happened in the draft, but there has been so much national debate about Brock Purdy that the Bay Area is caught up in that, right? I mean, you turn on sports sports talk radio here, And they're talking about the other people talking about Brock Purdy, people criticizing him, the game manager thing, the fact that it's all the surrounding talent. It's interesting that he has drawn, he's the focus of so much love, hate, and the guy's just going out and doing his job.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and John works for the San Jose Mercury News. So how's your newsroom handled Brock Purdy?
2: You know, they are judging him we're, we're, our view is let's just judge him on how he's doing and he's winning and he's making big plays. Yeah. And the last two, you know, both playoff games, the Niners were bad in the first half. Uh, and yet he made plenty of plays in the fourth quarter with his arm and his legs. And, you know, a lot of people think he's got some, a little bit of Joe Montana in him. Not, not that he's nearly that good, but just, you know, Montana didn't have a huge arm. Montana wasn't super mobile. And, you know, just the the ability to process and throw the ball accurately, maximize what you've got. So there's a lot of a lot of comparisons there.
1: I'm just wondering, John, in the Bay Area, because the love of the 49ers, people down here, there's not a love of the Arizona Cardinals. That that's right. just, There's a melting pot down here, and they haven't won. That's a fact. So I'm just wondering, like, the embraceability of Brock because – us having known him through the years, even yeah. all the way back, and is he is embraced and loved up there because he is not someone who seeks attention. Not that Joe Montana right. or Steve Young ever did, but he just goes about his business in a very yeah. low key manner. Is, is that well received there?
2: Oh yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And I, you know, the background, the draft thing just makes him more relatable, right? Uh, that's you know, the average fan. It's harder for them to. Relate to the number one overall pick, or to Trey Lance. Uh, Niners traded, like I think, three number ones to get Trey Lance. Here's a guy who's the last pick, right? He's obviously not a huge dude with a cannon arm, and I think that that kind of helps him. You know, Steph Curry's a little bit the same way. Steph Curry is very relatable because mm-hmm. he's not a he's not you know seven feet tall. You know, not dunk. Left and right, you know, he's just he just seems like, uh, you know, the kind of guy you'd want to go have dinner with. And Brock Purdy's the same way. And the Bay Area tends to, you know, really embrace the superstars that are relatable rather than maybe uh, Kevin Durant or certainly a Barry Bonds type thing. Mm, mm. No, that's good. That's good context. I've I worked in another, an ASU guy there for you as well. You know, with and
1: you're, you're, you're good. We, 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 I'm, I'm trying. You were working at it. John Wilner, with us <laughs> for a couple of minutes, chopping it up on a Monday mornings we do every week. Um, and it's great to, great to see John. Um, so tomorrow is supposed to be big 12 schedule unveiling for Arizona and Arizona state tomorrow. Now, we saw last week the ACC unveil their schedule. John, did did eyebrows raise where people at Stanford and Cal saying, "What? We have to go to Florida and Florida State Clemson in back-to-back weeks? Like what did you make of the
2: schedule, John?" Well, we knew the rotation of opponents, right? The all the all the conferences announced in the fall, you know, here's the schedule model so you know your opponents and the site. We just didn't know the order. So the ACC schedule comes out and it's like, you know, welcome to the uh, Eastern seaboard. Uh, Cal is opening up uh, at Florida state. That's their first ACC game at Florida state. Uh, And Stanford opens at Syracuse on a Friday. And then the next week they got to go to Clemson. And in between those two games, Stanford starts classes. Because, you know, they're a quarter system school, so they don't start the quarter till uh, the fall quarter till late September. So it's Syracuse on Friday. Classes start Monday, Clemson on, on Saturday. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's what they signed up for. And though it's even worse, right? It's, it's bad for football, but those trips, you know, the football team's charter, they're only gone for two days. Uh, but for the Olympic sports, what we're, we're waiting to see, I'm much more curious about that. How many back-to-back trips are there for, you know, volleyball, soccer, basketballs? That's where it's really going to be brutal is for those teams.
1: Okay. So we had heard that potentially Dallas could be a hub. Yeah. Where they have everybody come together and they just get it all out of the way, which seems nonsensical. Anybody in your circles that you've spoken to at Cal and Stanford say,
2: what are we doing? Can we get out of this now? Well, yeah. I mean, Dallas, like, that. all right, we're going to shorten your trip. You just got to go to Dallas three times, right? I mean, that's a long way from it. It's three hours, three and a half hours from the Bay Area. Uh, I think that people are saying that, but it's not necessarily because of the schedule That's for next season. It's just the whole thing in general, right? It's, it's the scheduling. uh, It's the money situation because they're both going in. They're taking 30% of the same of the uh, TV money that the other schools are going to get. And it's the uh, fragile nature of the ACC, right? That the conference could implode in the next year or two, right? If Florida state is successful in its lawsuit, and br- is able to break the grant of rights that is holding the ACC together, who knows? I mean, Florida State won't be the only one to mm. uh, uh Clemson's leaving. North Carolina's leaving. Virginia's leaving. And then all of a sudden, you've got a 13-school league that has zero re- relative to what it is now, zero TV value. Right. Stanford and Cal are committed to that conference until 2036. Then... It's like, all right, now you're now you're really stuck. They took a big risk by signing a 12 year deal with a league that was on shaky ground, 3,000 miles away from their campuses.
1: Yeah, I, I just am wondering if there are people still in the the position of authority that watch like you and I and say, well, they don't they don't understand what we're doing. We have it all figured out. It, it's kind of like still seeing George Klyovkov's name attached. Like I've got it all figured out. Yeah.
2: No, doing? they don't have it all. They they, they have no they clue. Don't have it all figured out. No. no clue. So, and, and there's also, I mean, the leadership issue is also part of this bigger picture here. Cal's chancellor is stepping down in the summer. Stanford doesn't have a president right now. Uh, certainly there has been, you know, for a lot of Pac-12 schools, there has been a vacuum of leadership. But no, they don't have it figured out. They made the the two schools made this decision uh, weeks Within weeks of the Pac-12 collapsing, uh, mm-hmm. some believe it was a panic move. The, the The root of the decision was that they wanted a place where their Olympic sports could compete for national championships at the highest level, right? And the ACC has good Olympic sports, right? So especially like soccer yeah. and, and basketball, obviously. So that was, you know, finding a home for the Olympic sports was was uh, a primary uh motivation for them to join the ACC, but I don't know that it was necessarily a smart move. You could make the case they should have stayed out west with Washington State and Oregon State. The Pac-4 because Stanford has a name, a brand name nationally. The Pac-4 at a few schools, you got you got a lot more weight behind that conference. We'll see what happens to the two barrier schools. In the ACC, they are taking thirty percent of the money, and they are locked in, and it's going to be fascinating. Wow, uh, fascinating! Last Tuesday, I am out at an event
1: shooting something, and I get a text: "Dave Heeky out at UVA." So,
2: yep. Okay, what was
1: your? Where were
2: you? What was your reaction on that? Uh, you know, I've lost. There's been so much news, I have lost track of where I am when certain things happen. <laughs> I was not expecting it, given that. They had just hired a right. football coach. Um, now, certainly their, their, their financial issues, although I'm of the belief that Dave Hickey's a little bit of a scapegoat here uh, for the financial issues, ultimately the president, Bobby Robbins, is responsible. He's responsible for the $240 million accounting error. He's responsible for the loans that the university made to the athletic department during COVID to keep operations running. Uh, you know, he's fired the CFO. He's now fired the athletic director. He appears to be cleaning house. I'm curious to see whether he keeps his job. Uh, you know, the Arizona, the, the board is, seems to be behind him, but certainly the governor's, uh, letter to the board, last week suggested she's not very happy with the state of things. So we'll see how long Bobby Robbins lasts. Better job,
1: athletic director in Tucson at U of A or athletic director in Tempe at ASU. Yeah. Which is the better job right now?
2: I have asked a lot of folks in the industry that very question because both schools, ASU is moving slowly. So both schools have openings uh, and are probably going to be competing against each other at certain level. It, it depends a little bit on what you want. You know, Tucson as you know, it's a college town. Um, it, a lot of people believe the lifestyle is a little bit better than in Phoenix. Um, certainly, you at, at Arizona, you've got a brand name with one of your main revenue sports because the basketball program is so good. You're coming into ASU. Football's got to be rebuilt. Basketball's kind of s- struggling a little bit. Uh, But ASU, the benefits there, one is more money available, not only for your salary, but also for your department, because ASU's entire business model is different from Arizona's. And there's there's a lot more support from central campus. Right. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting things about the trajectory of the two schools is it's the same state. It's the same university system. And yet their two business models are from different universes, right? <laughs> ASU, because of the online program, because of all the real estate holdings and the revenue derived from there, supports act- athletics at a much higher rate than Arizona does. Arizona does not have as much money. And for for reasons that are both with, uh, inside and outside its control, Arizona does not have as much money as ASU.
1: Well, and add to that, okay, I'll just look at it from this view. Arizona Stadium, you can't do anything with it. It's stuck. It's It's dropped in the middle of campus. So you're never going to be able to turn that into the cash cow that you want. Nope. Arizona State, you've got a basketball situation where that arena needs to be detonated and that hasn't happened and appears it won't happen. So you have aging facilities at both places. It feels to me like in Tucson, you don't really have the infrastructure top to bottom, it really is Bobby Robbins. I mean, I'm seeing their strategy play out. Front page of the Arizona Daily Star, Jim Click, and business people get together to support Robbins. You guys blow Robbins out, we're going to pull our money. I mean, that's just really what's going on down there. It's very, very crystal clear. Up here, Tempe, it's back page news. They may hire an AD. They may not,
2: you know, whenever it comes around. And Yeah. And, well, and that's I also do- part of the, the difference in the two jobs is, You know, ASU has always struggled to get traction in the Phoenix market, whereas Tucson, uh, you know, Arizona is the center of the universe down there. So, you know, again, that depends on what you like as an AD, but certainly uh, there are some challenges at ASU with with the Phoenix market.
1: uh, And I'll add this one last thought on it. I'm just curious from your view. Getting an athletic director, coming into the world of of what we have of Portal and NIL, and that's going to give way to something else, and a new conference, and that's going to give way to something else. John, really, the role of an athletic director, number one line item now is fundraiser, from my view. The days of showing up at every event and look at me and speaking at this is, no, they're got to be the front line of getting checks written. So is it is it hiring, I threw a name out just in my column down here, the Cardinals Clean House, 25-year businessman, Highly regarded, highly respected, Mike Iaqueta, and it, he knows everybody. And the boosters that write big checks called me upset about what happened at the Cardinals. I'm just saying, do you do you break the mode model and and go the route of business guy rather than longtime athletic director like a David Benedict at Connecticut?
2: Right. Well, certainly g- revenue generation is is critical. Uh, and so is managing a department with a lot of new dynamics, right? The NIL piece, that's a fundraising issue, right? You got to get your, your donors to support your NIL collectives. Uh, but I, I get, I'm a little bit old school. To me, the most important job of the AD is to hire a great football coach because if your oh, football sure. program is winning, then that solves a lot of other issues, right? Uh, Arizona, the way Jetfish had it got it turned around. That transformed the whole uh, Arizona athletic community. If ASU can get it rolling with, with Dillingham, then that will help a ton as well. I think football is still number one and everything flows from there, including fundraising. But to your point, fundraising is also part of football success now with NIL because if you don't have the support there from your donor community, it's harder to get kids in the NIL marketplace.
1: Well, and and we think, I think we both agree on this, NIL and collectives are going to go away and it's going to be brought in-house at some point. It will. At some point, you're going to have the assistant coach just call and say, hey, we need X dollars rather than this thing over to the side right now that's kind of like, oh, we don't want football
2: to be involved. We can't talk about it and all that stuff. That's going to change, right? We believe that? That's going to change. Well, yeah, because actually beyond that, there's going to be a revenue sharing deal with the players. The the court cases against the NCAA uh, combined with the NCAA's own uh, newly progressive ap- approach under Charlie Baker, uh, we're going to get to revenue sharing, and then that is going to determine which school, all right, which schools are in with a revenue sharing plan. I don't think all what is it sixty nine schools in the in the seventy schools in the in the Power Five. I don't think all of them are going to be in with revenue sharing. So we could see a separation, but that's like the next step in in Congress. The NCAA is going to Congress. It seems like every other week to try to get help. They're not even talking about NIL anymore. Now they're talking about revenue sharing, uh, collective bargaining, those kind of things to, to get the NCAA to the next phase where it's not uh, being sued every other week by somebody. I mean, the latest, You're right, you saw the Justice Department has joined a lawsuit wow. uh, uh, regarding the transfer portal. It totally looks like, you know, second, you're going to be able to transfer without having to sit out two, two times. And then it's going to be three and four. And soon, you're going to see guys playing for five different teams in five years without ever having to sit out. That's the next thing that's going on. It's it's just bananas. We've never seen anything like it in the history of college sports. This is an era of unprecedented change, and uh, the sooner we get to the next chapter, I think the better for everybody. Let's go off that. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks. Thanks so much, Brad. There's
1: John Wilner, the Wilner Hotline, and we're back with more after this timeout.